God, I, I just agree with Levi's prayer. Um, get me the heck out of her way and, and soften our hearts, all of our hearts. And the issue is, is do we, are we led by your Spirit? Are we guided by your Spirit? Are we taught by your Spirit? And God, I, I just, I cry out to you in the name of Jesus that this would not be an intellectual inter- exercise, but that this would be a transformation of soul, spirit, and body. Have implications for our feet. So God, we trust you to do that. We trust you to, to protect this room, to protect the hearts in this room, to reveal your truth for your kingdom's sake, for your name's sake, that we could better represent Jesus Christ. Amen. So, again, here we are in, in Matthew, going through Matthew, but we're in Luke. So, um, this is the last Luke, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 38 through the end of the chapter, because this is, this is the only recording we have of Jesus from about maybe two years old till somewhere close to 30. Okay? Um, this isn't a, you know, God oops, you know, it made a mistake and didn't record it. Um, this is the, 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 the section of scripture that, that speaks of Jesus growing up. And, and at first in reading it, it's actually a bit tough, I would say. Um, there, I can't imagine that any of us, have any of you read this and not kind of said, wow, Jesus, you know, you were kind of being a little, you know, uh, something, you know, it almost seemed like, because here's, here's Jesus, his parents leave and go down the road heading for home and, and realize Jesus isn't there and they were good parents, okay, so let's not, let's get that out of the way, you know, they were good parents. And also, the profound thing is, you know, the, the, well, and, and here Jesus is back there, and here he's in the middle of all the Pharisees, you know, and at first, I mean, growing up as a kid, I struggled with this. I mean, I'd have got a spanking, you know, for doing such a thing, right? I mean, here, here he is, back at home, they look for three days, you know, and parents are just, where, where's my child been? I mean, I, I think it, I, we, we are, we are given this, this, this section of scripture, um, Purposely and 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 I would say much more vividly than what it easily reads. Like many things with Jesus, um, it's tough to understand right off the get go. Okay, and and Jesus, whether as a twelve-year-old or whether as a thirty-three-year-old, one thing you'll notice is um, Jesus doesn't spend a long time, a lot of time, excusing himself or. And, and, and he, he speaks truth, says what's there, and and, um, and goes on. Let's read it a minute, and then we'll look at it. Because I, I think that this is really... Here, here's the question. And Ray, if you want to uh, use this as entitled... We record certain people listen to him, and he always says, David, what do you want to call this? I don't know, man. What do you call this? Yeah. I don't give a name, but, but we can say... Immaturity or rebellion? Okay. And, and that, that's what we need to look at this as, is, is this immaturity. Now, now, get a hold of yourself for a minute, okay? And, and, and stop for a moment and, and realize that Jesus was born as a baby and, and was he the Son of God, immaculate conception, um, God with his Father? Absolutely. Did Jesus go from an immature little boy to a mature man? Yes, he did. Okay. And that's really what this says. And, 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 and I would ask you to, to hold your reservations about it, considering me blasphemous when I say this is speaking about an immature Jesus. Okay. Not a sinful Jesus. Jesus didn't sin. Okay. We, one thing that we have to always base understanding scripture on is is who God has revealed himself to be. We we are never to to interpret circumstance God on the basis of circumstances, okay? It's not, it's a it's a 
dangerous thing that we get into at times. This seems like, to me, this is this, so how can God do that? That's always the wrong way to get around it. God is who God is. God is who He says He is. Um, that does not change. That has not changed. And we always have to base understanding circumstances or understanding situations based on the revealed character and nature of God. Okay? So we have to go, well, God is, in this case, let's read it and, and go there. And, and that, verse 39 of Luke chapter 2. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Remember, the place where we left off last week, historically, in trying to understand it, is the Magi had come, and they came somewhere, they didn't come um, at the birth of Jesus, they weren't there at the birth of Jesus, the Magi were there sometime in after that, okay, within the first two years. Alright, my, I, I would assume, uh, speculatively, knowing a little bit about the nature and character of Herod the Great, that if Herod the Great said that kill, based on what the Magi had said when they saw the star and the birth of Jesus happened, and he said, okay, I want to make sure I kill this child, okay, because this child is a threat to my kingdom, because this child is the king of the Jews, that if he ascertained from the Magi that the, that the birth of the child was exactly a year ago, he wouldn't have said kill every year, kill every child one year and younger. He would have said kill every child two years and younger. Now, again, that's speculative. But at that time, you know, if I asked any one of you who don't know these kids to tell me the age of these children in here, there would be about a six-month variable anyway, right? And that's even knowing them. I mean, are they talking? Are they boys? Are they girls? Are they walking? Are they not? Or, you know, I mean, it's hard for me. Is I don't even remember the age of my own grandkids even doing it. And it's not just apparent. Are they a year? Are they a year and a half? Are they two? Are they two and a half? I mean, there's some overlapping characteristics that it's pretty hard to tell. And Herod said, go kill him. Nonetheless, Jesus, the man came somewhere in that period of time, where Jesus, I assume, is somewhere between probably a year and two years. Um, and, and God said, after the Magi had come, he said, okay, now you need to go to Egypt, right? That, that you need, told Joseph in a dream, you need to take Jesus and Mary and go to Egypt because King Herod's going to try to kill the baby. So they went to Egypt. When they came back and they turned around and God again appeared to them, told them, said, hey, they, or they heard that Herod the Great had died. This was a huge deal. Herod the Great had died. And so they, returning to Israel, to the nation Israel, but they um, realized that his son had taken the throne and when he heard about that, his son was pretty much as, as uh, tyrannical, potentially, as Herod the Great was. And it said Joseph was afraid, going, oh man, his son is just as protective of the throne, which his father had killed his own wife, all her family, his own favorite sons who were heir to the throne. Anything that threatened his throne, his father killed. Okay? The threat. Jesus... Everybody recognizing the king of the Jews, which was Herod the Great's title, um, realized Jesus is a threat. So he came back into the country and an angel came to Joseph and said, don't go there. Don't go to the head, the central, the cultural center of, of Israel. Don't go to Jerusalem. Go back to Galilee. Go, go, go back to the region of Galilee. Go back to Nazareth, to your city. Okay? And raise the child there. Um, the setting is important because... I believe, and again, this is speculation, but I cannot help but believe putting myself in the position of your father. Joseph and Mary had been told that this baby of theirs was going to be the king of the Jews. Okay? They had been told that. He's going to become the king of the Jews. Now, they did not understand. They were given slight implications, but nobody understood that he would be the sacrificial lamb. Okay? You need to remember that. We look back as a Monday morning quarterback realizing that was going to happen, but they had been told he's going to be the king of the Jews. This was a great event that, that the Jews had been looking forward to. The prediction of the Messiah, the coming king, was everything to them. I mean, they looked forward to it. And again, here's this setting that God decided at this period in time, I'm going to interject the Messiah. 
and and the the temple had just been redone. Remember, there was there was the temple had been destroyed before. Nebuchadnezzar had, had trashed the temple and destroyed it, and now all of a sudden here was this temple that Herod the Great had rebuilt, and there was this, this a representation even bigger than the original temple. Okay, so all of Jerusalem, all of Judaism was going. This is set for the Messiah, right? I mean, we have a temple now that we can worship in, that we can do all our all of our things, all of our rituals, all the things that we've added to that went beyond what the Bible said in the Mishnah and whatnot. We can we can perform our, our ceremonies and have our feasts and do it because now we have a center of Jerusalem, a center of Judaism. So I'm sure Mary and Joseph were caught up in that to some degree too. Okay, And, and when they were told they were going to have the king, um, the child was going to be the king of the Jews, I'm sure that they wanted, okay, we better raise him right. Right? We better we better get him into the best schools. We better get him into the best rabbinical schools. We better get him to understand the culture and the nature. And the center of the culture of Judaism was Jerusalem. All right. All right so that that is why I believe that they were content to move to Bethlehem, even though they were called there. You know, he had a, he was a simple carpenter, and let's raise Jesus five miles away from Jerusalem. You know, I mean, this is a great suburb here, right? You know, I mean, we can. He can be in all the best schools and still not be in the middle of the mess. I mean, they, they came from a town of 50 to 100 people. And uh, Jerusalem was was probably about 100,000 people. That was a big city in the time doing it. Went to probably a million plus at the point of the Passover or the feast, which is a whole bunch of people. I mean, this is a, this is a really big change. So here's the setting. They were, they'd, they'd, they were coming back. Um, they'd come back from Jerusalem and were living in Nazareth. So, this is a, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child, this is, this is cool. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom. And the grace of God, the favor, because that word grace means favor, it, it's it's caresses, and the word means favor. And the favor of God was upon him. The grace of God was upon him. Okay? He was increasing in wisdom. He was growing. He was becoming strong. Again, we need to get our heads wrapped around the man Jesus at times. And, and I, I believe that one of the... That we fall in... Contemporary Christianity oftentimes falls into some of the same... Um, uh, error that early Christianity did and, and was very divisive on is that we tend to to look at the divinity of Jesus and and distinguish him from us as humans. And particularly when it comes to living holy and living righteous and and, and having victory over sin, we tend to look at and say, well he was Jesus, but he was without sin, but he was Jesus. But he was a man. Okay. We need to we need to remember that God very, very purposely took Jesus, Jesus willingly submitted to the Father, Jesus who created, who spoke the world into existence, the same Jesus that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He spoke this world into existence. Okay, when The same Jesus um, that has always been, the eternal being, relinquished that divinity and became a man. And he very much became a man. You know, the, we, we debated a little bit when we were singing Christmas songs about, you know, little baby, no crying he makes, you know. Well, if you imply that the baby didn't cry because he was a perfect little baby, that's a very wrong statement. I'm sure the baby cried, you know. And there's no sin necessarily in a baby crying or pooping his pants or doing whatever else babies do, you know. Ba- babies do those things and it's not sin necessarily. And, and there's a very, um, it's, I believe it's essential not only for us to understand the manhood of Jesus and therefore his ability to die for our sins in our place, because without that, it really doesn't make sense. If we don't understand the manhood of Jesus, we don't understand uh, the, the implication that he died in my place, substitutionary in my place, um, really doesn't have the meaning that uh, it has to have in our lives. And the other thing that's very, very important for us to get out of this, and I'll state it right now, is that there is a big, big difference in our own lives with our Father between immaturity and rebellion. 
Okay? And we need to, and I would ask us all to look, because we oftentimes excuse bad behavior and sin and rebellion as immaturity. Okay? God is tolerant. God is, as, as every parent, as every father is, of immaturity. Okay? God is not tolerant of sin and rebellion. Okay? Sin and rebellion are not okay. Okay? Immaturity, God understands immaturity. To remain in, in, in sin and rebellion, disguising it as immaturity, or excusing it as immaturity, or that's just the way I am, um, is rebellion. And God is not okay with that. It, it actually moves to, to idolatry, where I find the way I am and the things that bring me security and the things that bring me happiness and the things that bring me contentment and the state of my life as it is, I find this acceptable and this is where I want to remain. As a Christian, our life should always be maturing. Okay? Always be maturing. If our life is not maturing, we need to question if we're in sin and rebellion. Alright? Because immaturity, although an understandable state that we're all in, okay, that we're all immature when it comes to being like Jesus, okay, imitating Jesus. There's a maturity level in all of us. If that is not a progressive state that we are in, if that is not progressing and changing, we need to question, are we, are, is this immaturity or is this rebellion and sin? Even Jesus. I mean, there's some profound statements. The only other statements that I really find about the, the, the manhood of Jesus, what really, there's a lot of them, but Hebrews speaks very directly to, to the manhood of Jesus, and we'll read that in a few minutes. And, it, and, and there's some profound statements about Jesus still learning obedience at the point of, in Gethsemane, at the point just before he goes to the cross, that Jesus was still Learning obedience through suffering. I mean, that's a, that's a big statement, okay? Because we, we can very eat, and we need to, we need to understand that because it's very easy for us to go, well, he was perfect. He was born perfect. He wasn't man. He was, he was God becoming man, looking like a man, kind of acting like a man, but he was really God. And so that's why Jesus lived in the state he did. But we don't, we're not, we're just man, so that's why we're excused. In our sin, um, and, and that, that's a that's a unbiblical stance. Okay, that we need to be very careful of of, of sifting into and coming into our theology and our understanding of who Jesus is, because it's a very very dangerous thing. Right? So let's finish reading this, and then we'll go back. And, and the child continued to grow, okay, because he was a baby, okay, and continued to grow and become strong increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, any of us who have been parents understand Mary and Joseph's response. In fact, I'd say it's fairly restrained and controlled. Okay? All right? You know, that... that, that Three days, a million people. And, 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 and out of this, there was, it wasn't just a town established and people lived here and they had their houses even. This is 100,000 people expanding to 10 times and now everybody going like this and taking on. Okay? I mean, the million people just dispersing throughout all over the world and your son's missing. And you have no idea where he is. Okay? And all, and, and it came about after three days they found him in the temple. Now, and it isn't, I mean, it's bad you lost a kid. You were charged with being the parents of the king of the Jews, of the Messiah. I mean, this wasn't just a kid, and you'd been told this. 
I mean, I, I the 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 trauma that his parents were experiencing, I I can't imagine, wasn't great. I'm I'm sure it was. They found him in the temple, and 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 again, it's kind of like you fear for your kids. Do anything, come back. I, I want to see you. I hope you're okay. I hope you're okay. And as soon as you find out they're okay, why'd you do this? Why did you act this way? I mean, the nature of the flesh and, and wanting to reprove because of all the emotions that had been welling up and, and living in you. They found him sitting in the midst of the teachers. Well, this is really a problem. I mean, he wasn't, Mom, Mommy, Mommy, where are you? You know, trying to find, trying to run around, trying to find his parents. He wasn't looking for his parents even, was he? He was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And while and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. That's a probably a nice way to put it. They were astonished. And his mother said, like, it, this is unbelievable, is literally what it means. This is like unbelievable that you're just sitting here talking to people when we've been in a panic. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house or about my father's business? They did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Okay? They didn't understand it. And he went down with them, and this is very important too, and he, and he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and he continued, continued, didn't start into, didn't return to, but continued in subjection under their authority, in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Okay. So what, what, what is this? I mean, how, how do you look? This, this is the picture we have of, the, of, of Jesus from the time he's two till the time he's 30. Okay, this is the picture we have, and and I believe that this has profound implications for us as parents. It has profound implications for us in in our relationship as children of God, and I believe it has, and I know it has profound implications of us understanding the character and nature of Jesus. So I think it's very important. It isn't just a trivial little piece of information here. The one thing that we have to that we have to begin with again, the place that we have to begin with here. Okay, is that Jesus didn't sin. Okay? okay, We have to begin in that place. We can't say, well, wait a minute, you know, that, that seemed like sin, you know. Okay? And, and, but we can be very sure. Let me, let me read something here. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says it pretty directly. It talks about the high priest, okay, and, and, and Jesus is our high priest. Actually, chapter 2, okay, verse 14. And you can listen to this um, as I read out a New American Standard Bible. Um, try to forgive my uh, Elizabethan English prayers in here. Someday I think I need to get a new Bible. I've had this one for about 30 years. and they, Why they did that, I won't go there again. But um, Anyway. The New American Standard. You can listen, read, follow, whatever you need to do to listen to this. Because this describes Jesus. And it's, and it's really important. Because, again, we have, to, we have to interpret what Jesus did and how he acted and what's written about him and the history of him based on, on, on the revelation of his character and his nature. Since then, it, it, Hebrews is a sweet book. Have many of you spent... Or any of you spent time in Hebrews much? I mean, Hebrews is is a tough book. Um, I find it struggling. I find it more and more relevant as I, in the last few months, particularly even as I spend time studying the life of Jesus, because it's it it speaks of Jesus, our High Priest, um, and it and it becomes it's become more and more meaningful to you to me. Since then, the children share in the flesh and blood. Us, the children, okay, the children of God who are called. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Okay? Jesus also partook of the same, flesh and blood. 
that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham. That's us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Okay? Jesus had to be made like a human, one of us humans, in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, restitution for the sins of the people. For since he, made, he himself was tempted in that which he was in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered. Okay, he was tempted to sin. Just like we are. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Okay. In chapter, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have this great high priest who this is described. Okay. We have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Okay? Without sin. Okay? So, Jesus was without sin. Is there, I mean, I'm fairly confident that most people in this room, you would just, that's just kind of a, Thing that we would say, did Jesus sin? Okay? Does anybody think Jesus sinned in this room? I mean, you can raise and I'll have somebody beat you up, but no, that's not it. But, but if, if, if it's really important to understand Jesus did not sin. Okay? Cried as a baby, was immature as a young man, became mature in what he did. Okay? And we have to understand Understand, and, and, and that's critical. It's absolutely critical to not only his, his death having meaning, but to his life having meaning and us understanding it. So, so what happened here? Okay. Let, let's walk through this a minute and see what happened because I think that this is, um, important, important for us to understand. I, I would suggest that this is, this is a non-sinful, understandable, Immature response of a very zealous child who desired to know God, his father, and was perplexed and, 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 and amazed at what was trans, transpiring and happening. Okay? If, if Mary and Joseph had said to him, okay, we are leaving at nine o'clock, be here, and we're all going to caravan and go, and he hadn't done that, what would that be? That would be sin, right? That would be rebellion. I'm pretty certain they didn't... No, I know they didn't say that because he didn't sin, okay? Did did they think and consider and understand that after so many days, okay, because it said they'd fulfilled the days, after the days were fulfilled, meaning we're going to stay here for three days or we're going to stay here for a week or we're going to stay here for X amount of time, Okay, and then we're all going to leave and go back. They traveled together with family. Who knows? Zacharias and Elizabeth could have even been with them. They could have stopped by in the hills of Judea on the way down. It was a 140 mile walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It was a, it was a long travel. They tended to travel together. The road out of Jerusalem that went down was was a was a road that was called the Road of Thieves. I mean, it was a pretty dangerous place through the hilly country that they. It was dangerous, much better to travel in a group, okay, in doing it. Um, and they all left and traveled. It seems rather preposterous to us that they didn't know their kid was there. Um, but they also, we need to, to realize that, that Jesus had never rebelled, okay? Jesus had never lived in sin and Jesus had never rebelled. It's a very, very trustworthy sin, okay? Twelve? He was twelve, okay? Be, be very clear. He was not 30. He was not 25. He was 12. Do I anticipate or believe that he was a mature 12-year-old? He was amazing, the scribes and the Pharisees, in his understanding of the Scripture. 
I would say that's maturity. He wasn't playing video games in Jerusalem waiting for his parents to show up, you know, or kick the ball down the street or whatever they did, okay? He was a very, he was sitting in the middle of the Pharisee and had been doing that uh, suggestively for several days. That's a pretty mature kid, okay? That he'd been sitting there as a 12-year-old. Was he still 12? He was still 12. What, what, what could have put, the, the thing to understand here is that what consumed a 12-year-old to the point that he um, made an immature judgment about his parents? Okay? Did he act unlovingly or uncaringly towards his parents? No. Did he act immaturely? Yes. If Jesus was 18, would I have expected this to happen? Absolutely not. Okay? I would expect him to go, Mom and Dad are going to be really worried about this. I need to stay here in Jerusalem. I feel compelled. I need to learn this. Joseph, Mary, Mom, Dad. This is what needs to happen. I, or, or can this happen? Or 18, it probably would have been, this needs to happen. You know? But but to explain to them and say what was going to happen, because that would be the mature response, right? Okay, that, that all of this, look at this, is as, in, 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 this is very critical for all of us, because it, especially all of you raising kids, which there's more and more in raising kids doing that. In raising kids, there's an imperative, there's an essentialness to understanding the difference between immaturity and sin and rebellion. Okay, and we need to train out immaturity. We need to. We need to. We we are responsible as parents for the maturing of our children. Okay, we're absolutely responsible for that. Okay, and and. And, and we have to train them to become mature. We have to discipline them for sin and rebellion. Okay? Remember again the primary purpose of parenting. And I, this is a, this is a foundational biblical principle that we need to understand. Our primary purpose is to prepare our children to have a relationship with God. Okay? As, 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 as parents, that is our primary purpose, because that's really all that matters, is that our children end up in a right relationship with God, okay? So how do we best do that, you know? Um, you know, probably isn't fulfilled in sending your kid to Sunday school once a week, okay? The way that we, the, the primary thing that we need to teach our children is that submission of their will to their father is a place of peace and joy and security and happiness and contentment. In rebellion to your father, in rebellion to the authority over you, father including mother, because the two are one flesh, and the two are one and work together and function as one as they're supposed to, okay? that, that, that rebellion to that is not a good thing and not a good place to be. And teaching your child that submission of their will to the authority over them is a good thing is imperative and absolutely essential for all, to all children. Okay? I don't care if your children seems to be the submissive, compliant one. That's the most scary one to teach and raise. Okay? God says their heart is rebellious too. Okay? It is. But they learn to cover that. The, the open, defiant one, that's much easier to deal with. Okay? Because they're obviously in rebellion and obviously sinning and obviously go do this. No! is pretty easy to deal with. At least you know, directly, pretty obvious. The one who says yes and smiles while you walk away and doesn't do it. That's a tougher one. Okay, That's a, that's a tough one to deal with. But the, it's so critical that we as parents bring, our, that, that is our role, to bring our child's will into submission to the authority over them. If we do not do that, if we do not teach our child to submit their will to their father, when it comes to the point of accountability in their relationship with God, when it comes to the point of maturity in their relationship with God, okay, when they become older and they, and they begin to come, and it, it isn't about getting to say, there's a little kid, please excuse me and don't throw rocks. That is not what it's about, getting your kid to say a prayer at a young age. Okay? That does not bring salvation. God says that right relationship with him is based on your obedience to your father. Okay? That's what pleases him. Children, obey your parents. This is pleasing to God. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it says, get your kids to say a prayer because that makes God happy. Okay? It doesn't. Okay? That, that is not the issue. The issue is teaching your child to be obedient and submissive to the authority over them. That 
brings right relationship with God for a child until a child comes to the point of going, okay, now how do I relate to God my father? Okay? If you teach your child that, that this, is a, this is a blessed, happy place, I can trust my father, I can believe in my father, I can, I can, I can, I can submit to him and things will go well. If I rebel and run on my own, things are not going to go well. Let me choose. And this doesn't mean that you've got this, this no-willed child. This means that you willfully give up the right to God, the Father, and by faith. That is the safest, greatest, wondrous place a child could, you could ever lead your child to. Okay? Because God is faithful. God is a faithful Father. God will not disappoint your child. God will not be unfaithful. God will not be unattentive. God will not lead them in a way. God will not tell them to do things they should do. Okay? This is a wondrous place when the child, you can teach a child, okay, this, this seems like the right thing to do to submit my will. If you do not teach a child that, a child will have a very, very difficult time submitting their will to God. Okay? Period. If you do not teach a child that submission of their will to their father is a good thing in a happy place, place of blessing, place of joy, okay? place of growth, place of progression as a human being. If you do not teach your child that, they will not trust God in that either. Okay? Because what it means for a child is, no, I make a choice here. And it's a very insecure thing. Who do I trust? Do I trust myself and the way I feel and what I want? Or do I trust my dad? Okay? Okay? And, and, and if you teach a child that trusting myself is better than trusting my father, what will his response be to God? The same. It will be the same and look the same, okay? In their response. And, and, and it will be a very difficult thing for them to overcome. Jesus was not rebellious to his parents. Jesus was, did not act in sin. I believe that Jesus acted like a very passionate 12-year-old about what was happening, okay? You things here, just to try to get a setting of where Jesus was. Jesus was overcome in the moment. And, and it's something that we need to be very careful. If, if, they, if Mary and Joseph would have come in and, and thanked him for being bad because they were so... They would have sinned. Okay? Jesus didn't sin. Did Jesus ever need disciplining for sin? Correction for sin? No. Did he need upbringing and becoming more mature? Yeah. Was it right of Mary to say to him, why you didn't consider the what you did to us here? I mean, I, I realize the importance of what you're doing and that you were taken by the moment, but you didn't consider what was happening here. Oh, does it say Jesus said oh? No, it doesn't. But do I think Jesus said oh? Yeah. Do I think Jesus said I did not mean to hurt your feelings? Yeah. You know, sorry for sinning. I don't think he sinned. Okay, he didn't sin. In fact, we know he didn't sin, right? It's not that I don't think he didn't sin. He didn't sin. What, what, was, what were the circumstances more? Very, very, again, we, we have to interject. He, this quite probably was his first time, quite possibly, was his, his first time ever going to Jerusalem to the Passover. Well, that's a big statement, isn't it? No, this quite possibly. It says that his parents, every year, used to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. All right? Well, why wouldn't they have taken Jesus? Backtrack a minute. What happened when Jesus came out of Egypt? Okay? When, when, when we read um, in Matthew, okay, when Jesus came out of Antipas, Antipas was Herod the Great's son, okay? And, and he became king. And he was king for about ten years, okay? When they came out of Egypt and they wanted to go back near Jerusalem, probably to Bethlehem, God said, no, go to Galilee, go away. Why? Because the king Antipas was just as bad as his father and wanted to ki would kill any threat to his throne. Right? Antipas ruled for 10 years, from about 4 AD to about 6 BC. Okay? He ruled. Okay? And so when he was still in power, would that same threat have been there to kill the king of the Jews? It would have been, okay? So, do I believe would have been responsible for them to take Jesus to Jerusalem when they went there every year for the feast? Possibly not, okay? I don't think Jesus probably went. 
I have a feeling that this was the first time he went. This is right. He was about 12 years old. He was about two years old when he came out of Egypt. Antipas reigned for 10 years. He's about 12 years old. Okay? Is that speculation? It's speculation. But the inference here is Jesus was completely taken by what was going on. Well, wait a minute. Then he sinned. Jesus didn't go to the feast. Uh, well, let's, we, we have to stop for a minute about the Passover. Re- remember the original Passover. The original Passover was when Moses was lead, God was using Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, right? And what did God tell him to do? God said, each family come together and kill a, a, a young goat or a young sheep, take its blood and, and use hyssop and, and spread it on your doorpost. And, and that in and of itself is pretty wild. All these people are taking blood and sprinkling on the doorpost. If we saw, if we saw that happening today, what would we say? Crazy. Demonic, right? Evil. Well, it only got worse, okay? I mean, the, that, the original Passover feast, and the, and the people all, that's what they did, is as families, they gathered together and they ate unleavened bread because God was going to do it. And this was the representation of the Messiah, of the spotless lamb, right? The, Jesus, call, God calling the people out of Israel, I, I mean, out of Egypt, thank you, Ray. God calling the people out of Egypt was, was a representation of what? Of God calling us out of the world, right? It's very much and very pertinent to that. Okay, what, what represented? We had, to, they had to be covered by the blood of the Messiah, right? That sacrificial lamb was essential. Otherwise, what happened? The firstborn all died, right? Firstborn son of every family, the firstborn, the firstborn animal, the firstborn son, the firstborn, all of them died. And that's what happened to the Egyptians. Okay? The firstborn sons, the firstborn animals all died. The angel of death came over and killed everyone who did not have blood over their doorstep, over their lentil of the house and the doorpost. Okay? Did not have blood sprinkle on it. The absolute necessity of a substitutionary sacrifice in order to come out of Egypt. Okay? So, that was the Passover feast and that was the Passover supper that they, that they continuously took over. God said, this is perpetual. You will participate in this, alright? Forever perpetual. We are to participate in the Passover, okay? Be very clear. Something I don't want to go down. Something I do, but I'm not going to. The, you know, the, the fulfillment of the Passover was the Last Supper. Okay? So, the be, that was on the Passover, that was Jesus fulfilling the Passover. The concept of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood was representative of them. They had to consume the whole lamb and eat it all right then. Okay? There was a lot of um, very particular things. You know, the, there could be no bone of this lamb broken all right, on the Passover lamb. Okay, it was done. They had to finish it all that night or burn it up. And leave it. None was to be able to... I mean, there, there's a lot of symbolism that in the Passover God intended to represent and to rightly represent the Messiah and the coming Messiah, okay? So, the, the, the blood and body of Jesus is to represent the Passover lamb. And that, that we need to understand that in the sharing of the cup. By this time in Jesus' day, and I'll skip way ahead, lastly, by this time in Jesus' day, things had gotten pretty wild, okay? So, the Jews had already introduced a whole bunch of their own stuff. They were so excited and so exuberated because they have this temple. Okay? So now, how did they participate in this? And get this, this is Jesus again. Put yourself in Jesus' thing. Jesus, I'm sure by this time, has been told by his parents, you are the king of the Jews. You are immaculately conceived. He understood that, obviously, in, in his reference back of, I need to be about my father's business. Don't you understand this, right? He understood who was fine. In fact, it was a, it was a, it was a potentially a statement. You have, what do they say? You've disappointed your mother and I. You know, look, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he says, my father knew exactly where I was. Okay? My father knew exactly where I was. And, and, and he was right in that, right? They taught him his whole life. God is your father. You were immaculate. You know, Joseph is your father here on earth that you're put under the authority and you're to be obedient to. Obviously, he understood that and knew that. Okay? But, but he was, God was his father and he understood this. And, this, and, and, I mean, this is a 12 year old boy. I mean, get this. He knew the scripture. He'd been reading the scripture. 
Nobody understood that he was a sacrificial lamb. Nobody had told him that. Nobody understood that he was to be the sacrificial lamb, representing the, the represent, fulfillment of the representation of the Passover, until after he died. Okay? Nobody, not even his mother. Nobody understood that he was going to be the sacrifice. Did Jesus understand that throughout his life? He understood it. Okay, when did he begin to understand this? Maybe right here. Okay? We, we don't know, but maybe right here. And consider what happened. Here he had his whole life been raised, uh, you know, he, and he knew the scripture. I mean, he'd been, he was very devout in this, and he'd been immersed in it, and he knew the scripture. And he knew about the Messiah, and the coming Messiah, and knew all the prophecies. I'm sure he'd been read through Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and Micah, and all the things that had been talked about, you know, the, uh, the Messiah. And he knew that he was going to be the fulfillment of the Messiah. Nobody understood that he was going to be the sacrificial lamb, okay? He comes in to participate in the Passover. Okay? Which the first thing, this had become something much different from something that happened in your home individually with families, okay, in the Passover feast, because that's originally where it was done. This had become something that was done in the temple. Now this is, this went from 10,000 people, which there was a bunch of people, and some of them were priests, to a million people, they speculate, at the Passover time, okay? Coming in to participate in this feast. And in that, they gathered in the outer temple, and all of them as family groups were bringing this Passover lamb or a goat or whatever it was. Now, put yourself in this position, okay? And what were they doing? The priests lined up in two rows and they, and they held bowls. Gold bowls and silver bowls. They held bowls to catch the blood when they killed the animal. Okay? This is, this is, this wouldn't go over well today, okay? You had Thousands, tens of thousands of people sacrificing, slitting the throats so the blood squirts out of animals and they're catching it in a bowl. Blood everywhere. Okay? Blood everywhere. Tens of thousands of people. Squirming animals. Screaming animals. They, to, to cover it, they all sang. And at the same time, they were loudly singing. Everybody was singing. The songs that everybody knew. So all the Jewish people, hundreds of thousands of people were singing. And, and at the same time, animal throats are being split and blood's gushing out and they're trying to catch it in bowls. And as they catch it in bowls, they pass the bowls down and then they take the bowls and pour them out on the altar. Okay? If any of us saw that today, what would we think? I mean, come on. That, 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 that's, would we not drop our jaws? I mean, we would immediately say, come on, right? This is even Satan worshippers, man. Look at this. This is terrible what they're doing. Look at this. This is barbarianism. This is the Jews, the people of God, trying to participate in the Passover. Jesus seeing this for the first time. Now, Jesus knew the Scripture. He was, he was, he was astounding the scribes and the Pharisees. He knew the scripture and understood the scripture. He didn't have sin in his way. He definitely had the leading of the Holy Spirit teaching him. I would consider that potentially the consideration, I'm the fulfillment of this? Am I to be the Passover lamb? I mean, is it, am I to be... Look at this! Tens of thousands of animals bled out right in, all together at the same time, right in front of me. People catching the blood in bowls, realizing the sacredness of it. Blood going on them. I'm sure it just wasn't all perfectly contained. Passing the bowls down and dumping it on this altar, this altar covered in blood. Okay? And Jesus, how do you think a little 12-year-old boy who knew the Scripture, who, 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 was, who knew he was to be the king of the Jews, and, and, and obviously at some point, became very well aware that he was the Passover lamb. That that's what God called him to be. Do you think this kid might be a little carried away with this? Do you think he might be a little, oh my God, what is happening here? Wait, do you think he had questions? Do you think he had, he wanted answers? Do you think he, he, he wanted to figure out, oh, I had no idea this was like this. I mean, I've heard of this, but 
you know, what's happening here? And, and to watch all these people, and to, and to see all these people, and, and to even realize in his 12-year-old mind, do people think this is salvation? Do people think this is going to save them? Do people think this is going to, to be redeem them because they are participating in these rituals? Do they understand the representation of this? Have they lost sight that this is the Passover lamb? Have they lost sight of what happened with Moses bringing them out of Egypt? And, and, and this kid was just... And, and so they had a... His parents... Okay, put it this way. His parents had their set schedule. Okay? They had the days. When the days were passed for them to do it. They'd been there. I'm not saying that they were sinful and wrong. But they'd come and, you know, it's 12 o'clock. Church is over. Let's go home now. Okay? And Jesus is going, you know, I got a lot of questions, man. I mean, I, I don't know what's happening here. I, I don't want to, uh, wait, I, I gotta go, I gotta go find out. I mean, they, they said he, he, for the first time in his life, had gone to what was considered and called to be God's house, right? I mean, that's a big deal, right? This is the house of his father. This is his father's house. He might possibly hadn't been there since he'd been cognitive. Okay? A speculation, but he, he might probably hadn't been there. Okay, For the first time, he went up to the temple. And I'm sure that he was just astounded and blown away by the things that were happening. I mean, I'm sure there was, you know, he was very, I'm sure there was this turmoil in him. His life, you know, he wants to go to his father's house. This is his father's house. This is regarded as his father's house. The temple has been rebuilt. This is all, and, and I'm going to be the king of the Jews. And Oh my gosh, and then to go up there and to start seeing the people and how the people were acting and how they viewed and, and pardon me, their idolatry. Because the people were very idolatrous about the temple. That wasn't, were they really worshiping his father? Did they really understand his father? I'm sure Jesus, he's 12 again. Over, overwhelmed. Do I think he was overwhelmed in his immaturity? I do. I think he was absolutely consumed and overwhelmed in his mature, in his immaturity, on his maturity level. And, and he was, uh, this is, uh, I mean, this is my life. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I, I, I need to find this out. I need to, I need to understand and got caught up and run away in it. Sin? No. Consumed by the, by the moment. The very critical thing to understand is that Jesus went through a maturation process too. You know, Jesus matured. Again, as a 20-year-old, would I have expected him to not consider his parents? I wouldn't. Okay? Or, or other people, right? I mean, because it was immature, his response, right? I mean, what little kid do we know that, that doesn't get vision like this pretty easily and pretty quickly and pretty naturally, right? I mean, to a little kid, the world revolves around them. That is our process as parents. To teach a little kid, the world does not revolve all around you. You know, you are not the center of the universe, in spite of the fact that you consider and think you are. It, but all little kids are of the flesh, are naturally selfish, are naturally, and, and they might, they might be a little kid that seems so loving and giving because that produces really good response back towards them. Okay, I mean, they're, they're, kids are naturally selfish. Okay? They're naturally sinful. They're naturally of the flesh. Okay? We have to, it's a completely contrary thing to our flesh to die to ourselves. Okay? To not regard ourselves as the most important. To lay our life down for our God. To realize that no, the world does not revolve around me. It is not a vortex that I am the center of, that everything I need to come in on top of me. Okay? That'll end up being like the best vortex you know, a big toilet for your child that he lives in. Okay? The truth is, is that, that that is supposed to be, uh, that to realize that our lives are about outpouring, that our lives are about giving, that our lives are about loving God, which is outpouring to God, loving our neighbor, which is outpouring to our neighbor. And that's what our lives are about, not introverted taking. And that's, that's our process in teaching our children. Sin nature, the flesh, and dying to that. Submitting to the Father, because God always asks us to outpour always asks us to give, and that's a process of, matur- of, of maturing. Okay? I, I look at a, at, a, at a person who claims to be a Christian and says your relationship was right with God. I, I really don't have to talk theology with you. 
I can just look at your life and say, is your life about outpouring? Or is your life about self? Is your life about your own security, your own happiness, your own well-being, your own contentment, your own bringing in? Because if, if that is the case, that's contradictory to your relationship with God is right. Because if your relationship with God is right, your life will be about giving. And, and, and it's a process of maturing. You know, when a little kid who is selfish, a little kid who cries because he has dirty pants. Is he sinning? No. He's trying to get some attention, change my pants. Okay? He doesn't know any other way. Okay? He doesn't know any other way to act. A child who, who takes a toy from another kid. Is he sinning? No, actually he's not. Is he sinning when you tell him not to do that? Is he sinning when you tell him you need to share this toy with another kid? Is he sinning when he, when he says, well, mom says I'm supposed to give the toy to them, but I don't want to. I want to keep the toy. Oh, is that a choice? Is that a choice that, that results in sin? That we cho- that's a choice that results in sin. When they take the toy, that's natural. Okay? That's how we all are. Now we all learn better social ways of doing it, okay? That don't, that aren't so reproved, okay? But we all want to take each other's toys, okay? Naturally in the flesh. We all want to take for ourselves and fulfill ourselves doing that. The issue is, in, 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 with our children is realizing the distinction of immaturity, immaturity. Now, if a child remains immature, oh, I forgot, oh, I didn't remember, oh, I didn't see this, well, that's not acceptable either. Okay? Because we are, it, the child needs to mature, and that's our process, is, is the child mature. Whether it's a two-year-old, whether it's a 20-year-old, whether it's a 70-year-old. Okay? It's a pretty profound thing. Let me read something about Jesus, just for us to, and again, I, I could go on, but I'll try not to. Okay? There, there was a, there's a very, um, a statement about Jesus. In, in 5 of Hebrews, okay, it's talking about Jesus the high priest and how he can associate and how he can relate to us. In the days of his flesh, okay, in the days of his flesh, in the days of when Jesus was, before he ascended, before he took on the, trans, before the transfiguration, before he became a God, before he, before he took on back his deity in, in, in the, 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 the person of his, of his deity as Jesus, the Son of God, okay? When he was still in the flesh, in the days of his flesh, when he offered up both prayers and supper... Listen, this is Jesus. And, and I assume this is talking about Jesus in, during his ministry time, during his mature time. In the days of his flesh, when he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to him who was able to save him from death and who heard because of his piety, okay? Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him a source of eternal salvation. Jesus was in the process of maturation of, of, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? Now, I'm sure there was other times when he cried out with tears and supplication too. Because he, he hurt for the nation of Israel. He hurt for the Jewish people. He hurt for the lost. He hurt for those who were, who were controlled by the enemy. He, the nation of Israel had to been, had to been in despair. He, here he was raised as a young boy. The prospect, I mean, all of Jerusalem, all, all Jews look forward to the Messiah. All women. Dreamed of the honor of bearing the Messiah in the Jewish culture. I mean, this was huge, a, a, an absolutely permeated part of their culture, looking for the Messiah. Here he was, the, the Messiah, looking forward to being the Messiah. Looking for now, Herod the Great had died. Now there wasn't, now there wasn't a, a king of the Jews existing at the time. He's twelve years old. Everything looks ripe and perfect for him to be set up as the king of the Jews. And and. They had a new temple, a new temple to worship. And, and he realized that the people were far from God. And he began to realize that the people were, and I'm sure he began to realize at this time, as they began to give him answers, and he listened to their answers, and he asked questions, that these people were idolaters. Not all. There was exception. But for the most part, they were idolaters. 
that this wasn't going to be the way it was going to go and that he wasn't going to set up his kingship, but he was going to be, his blood was going to be shed as the sacrificial lamb. That he was going to fulfill that representation of all these animals being killed and them taking the blood and pouring it on the altar. And I'm sure he hurt for them and hurt for the nation in realizing that they were going to reject the Messiah because of their presupposition, because of their religious belief, because of the hardness of heart that they were going to reject the Messiah. He hurt for that. He, he perpetually, in his life, as a man, matured. It says that he learned from obedience to the things which he suffered. In his suffering, he was learning obedience. And that is to be the characteristic we are to be. What does it mean to be like what does it mean to be like Jesus? You know, we tend to immediately go, "Oh, that's perfection." Okay, okay, we're we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're called to be imitators of Jesus. That's perfection. No, that's in the process, the perpetual process of maturing, of changing, of being changed. Okay, how do we be changed? We be changed by being obedient. Okay, we be, we were changed by by being. By surrendering our will and submitting our will. Is this a process that all of a sudden will be done with and over? When we die. Okay. But until then, always in the process of maturation. Always in the process of change. And God is faithful as a loving Father to recognize the difference between obedience. We need to be very careful to understand the difference between our immaturity and our immature acts what did it say that Jesus did? And I'll leave it at that. How did Jesus respond to, to, the, to the reproof, to, to the correction of his mother? Okay? Why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you are looking for me? You know, again, I think we need to be careful how we take that statement. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And they did not understand the statements which he made to them. Okay? Which is... What's the result of that? And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. God in God was upon him. It's what, how did he continue in favor with men? Well, he didn't do that cause his parents to worry. Huh? You have favor with your parents. Well, you don't cause them to be freaked out about the fact where have you been for three days. Okay? Did Jesus sin in that? Jesus didn't sin. But I believe that this was the this was the beginning of Jesus. I you know it doesn't say this, but of going wow. This this is a this is a big deal. This is a radical deal to see what had happened. What was happening? What was going on with the nation Israel? What he was called to? What was the scripture? What did the scripture say? And, and be very clear, that maturation process, even in the, in the unsinning, good guidance of his parents, I believe his parents were excellent parents, sometime in that process, probably fairly, who knows when, at some time, Joseph died. Jesus was probably put in, in the position of of being the eldest son. He was put in the position of being the eldest son. We can be sure of that. Okay, And in that culture, that means being responsible and providing for his family. Okay, So Jesus was providing for his family, taking care of his family. You think that aided in maturation, in, in maturing, in his maturing, growing? Because Joseph died. So we don't know Joseph died. Joseph doesn't appear anymore and he didn't abandon his family. He's a righteous man. And And in that process, Jesus spent another 18 years before he began his public ministry. We don't hear anything of him. We don't see anything of him for another 18 years. Now, we'll take up in Matthew, where John the Baptist. Okay? 
all of a sudden he appears on the scene of John the Baptist 18 years from this time um, that he went through. I would, I would first challenge us in our own lives. Consider what is immaturity in our life in areas that we need to be willing to let God cause us to mature. Again, God says, how did he mature Jesus? God was continually in the process of maturing Jesus, the man, through suffering. Through suffering. Okay? Through obedience to what God called him to in spite of the fact he didn't want to go there. Are we in that process? Are we in the process of maturation? Are we wanting to stall out here and hold his idolatry the state of my life? The, the security of my life, the stability of my life, which is a false reality in the flesh, 